Welcome to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'll be your host, the Healthy Voyager, Carolyn Scott. Hello, you've just tuned into Healthy Voyager Radio, and I am Carolyn Scott, aka the Healthy Voyager from Healthy Voyager. I've got a great show for you this week with, as usual, incredible guests to dispel a wealth of information that can help you live happier, healthier, and greener lives. There's one event announcement this week, and then we'll get on with today's show. Uh, Of course, uh, coming up in a few weeks, and I've been mentioning it in the last few shows, is the wonderful World Fest. It's going to be on Sunday, May 16th from 10.30 a.m. to 7 p.m., uh, World Fest is a 100% vegan and I would say pretty eco festival, uh, complete with music and food, tons of shopping, speakers, um, animal adoptions, fun stuff for the kids. It really is a good family event. So if you're in LA that weekend of May the 16th, which is a few weekends away, uh, stop on by Woodley Park, and that is in the valley here in LA, and check out World Fest for more information. Check out worldfestevents.com, and that's plural, events, worldfestevents.com. So check it out, WorldFest. It's going to be awesome. I know that Chef Tal Ronan is going to be doing some cooking demos. Uh, NBA star John Sally is going to be speaking. We've got all kinds of people going to WorldFest and taking part this year, so it should be a good time. All right, on today's show, I've got two very wonderful, awesome people who are both movers and shakers in the, the vegan world and very much a part of the movement in many ways. Uh, One is an artist, a professor, musician, and a traveling man, uh, as well as an author, while the other is a vegan chef, a teacher, an animal lover, and a cookbook author. Uh, For those in the community, these two folks are very, very well known and very much loved, and I'm really, really happy to have them on my show so that people who aren't aware of their good work can take notice and check them out later on. Uh, Because both guests are uh, authors, I thought I would speak... uh, about some books today. Since we'll be speaking extensively about their books and their work, I thought I'd share with you some of my favorite books that have really helped me on my journey to health and uh, and continuing that journey and exciting me. And seeing as how summer is approaching, you may be interested in picking up some of these and adding them to your summer reading list. So here are just a few to get started. I mean, I could go on forever, but here are just a few that I think uh, will get you going and you'll get excited about and want to tell everybody else about them once you've read them. Uh, The first one is Fit for Life. This book is the book that started it all for me. Back in 1999, uh, when I became vegan, I was looking for a quick fix diet to kind of drop about 10 pounds and keep them off because having just to move to LA in my 20s and running around looking for a place to live, I was eating a lot of fast food and uh, just kind of getting my bearings here in LA and uh, not really knowing anybody and seeing how skinny everybody was, I thought, mm, I should probably get rid of these few ten, you know, few pounds, 10 pounds that I gained when I first got here. So a friend of mine suggested this book, Fit for Life, and I devoured it. Um, it, was, it isn't necessarily a vegan book, but it's a book about balance and overall wellness. Um, talks a lot about food combining, and it really resonated with me. Uh, it is written in the 70s. It was written in the 70s, and I still found that the information was incredibly relevant and not at all preachy or extremist in the least. Uh, back in college, I was pursuing a career in medicine, and I knew after a very short while that it wasn't really my passion, so I uh, 
I switched over to uh, to filmmaking, oddly enough, because there was just something there in the back of my mind, even though my entire life I'd wanted to be a doctor, a, a pediatrician. Once I was on that path, I thought, mm, this isn't what I want to do anymore. And I wasn't quite sure that that I would want to spend so many years in school only to find out that I was unhappy with my career. So it was funny that after I read Fit for Life, I knew that it was a it was probably the best choice for me to have left the medical field because I, I realized then that the medical field as it was, at least 10 years ago and before that, it was broken and that I wanted to really continue to learn about the power of food and nutrition and the role that it played in our health because having been going down that road, I realized that there was really no correlation in um, in the system when you're in medical school. So uh, no correlation of, of food and nutrition as it pertains to our health. So um, I was very excited to learn what I learned from Fit for Life and uh, and that kind of launched me into, into my my world that I'm in now. So Fit for Life was what did it for me and was the predecessor for many that have come out since. So even though it's a, it's an older book, it's still a good read and really makes sense um, even today. So the next one, and I'm sure you've heard me talk about this one before, and I tell everybody to pick this one up um, just for their own health for, for any reason, whether they want to get healthy or are trying to take care of some sort of illness. I tell them to pick up the China study. This book turned the world of medicine on its ear. Dr. T. Colin Campbell's 30-year study of diets around the world proves that a plant-based diet is the way not only to optimal health, but also slowing down, if not eradicating, many of society's most life-threatening illnesses and diseases. Uh, as mentioned last week by the folks of Evil Lotus PR, that film uh, Forks Over Knives that they're promoting, it'll be out this summer, and it's basically the China study movie. But the read is so good, the facts are so undeniably infuriating that you'd be hard-pressed to not undergo an entire kitchen and lifestyle overhaul after completing it. It's an absolute must, uh, and for those who are faint of heart, don't worry, it's not a graphic book, it's, it's not about cruelty to animals or anything like that, so I know there are a lot of people who kind of shy away from that sort of thing. Um, but this one is, is just the facts on health. Um, and, and I think that's incredibly, um, eye opening and, uh, you'll definitely be stunned. China study. Um, the next one is a cookbook and, uh, I've had the author of this cookbook on my show and he's a friend and, uh, I know many people who love it. Uh, it's the conscious cook. This one is one of the prettiest vegan cookbooks I've seen, and it really illustrates that vegan food can actually be gourmet cuisine. I know a lot of chefs and food critics who claim that vegans can't be foodies because we're missing one type of protein from our meals, but they couldn't be more incorrect about that statement. We're, we think about food all day long, us crazy vegans. Uh, celeb chef Tal Ronan, who's a friend of the show and Healthy Voyager, really has done a bang-up job in creating delicious wholesome recipes that even carnivores will enjoy. It's a it's a really great crossover book uh, cookbook, and even though some of the recipes might be a little more involved than others, uh, and you'll see from all the color photography that they just look insanely gourmet, but um, they're definitely doable for, even for those who, who aren't, you know, kitchen savvy. But it's a good one for folks who are flirting with the idea or just want to prove to others that vegan cuisine actually rules. You can definitely... Uh, you can uh, pull the wool over someone's eyes who's not vegan when you cook up one of the meals from this cookbook. They, they'd be hard-pressed to, to, to think that it doesn't taste good. So, uh, yeah, 
The Conscious Cook is a great cookbook. Um, the next one is Veganomicon. And if you can only afford one vegan cookbook, I think this this book pretty much covers everything. The recipes range from simple to complex, but they're all pretty tasty. And uh, and really, if you want to make something vegan, I'm almost positive that the recipe is in there. If you're missing something that you haven't had in a while, I bet it's in there, or at least a version of it. The gals behind Veganomicon also revolutionized the vegan cupcake and cookie world with their dessert-specific cookbooks. Um, it's the Cupcakes Take Over the World cookbook and the Vegan Cookies Take Over Your Cookie Jar cookbook, something like that. Anyway, um, and I'm stoked that one of the co-authors of Veganomicon, a fellow vegan Latina like me, has just released a vegan Latin cooking book called Viva Vegan. So that uh, is already out. It's just newly, freshly out. Um, lots of Latin recipes that are all veganized. Super cool. Terry Hope Romero is going to be joining us on the show this summer to talk about the Viva Vegan book. So I'm very excited about that. So um, again, Fit for Life was the book that started it all for me. It's it's simple and it really kind of keeps it simple because of when it was written. Um, then The China Study, again, just a phenomenal book. Uh, the Conscious Cook, a wonderful cookbook, and Veganomicon, pretty much the, a staple for any vegan kitchen. Or again, someone who just wants to have it as a, an extra cookbook on hand who might not be vegan but may want to have it on hand to to kind of play with some stuff here and there. So again, like I said before, I could go on for hours telling you about all the insanely good cookbooks and regular books that are out there for special diets um, and so forth, but we need to get on with the show now. So these recommendations were just a taste for now. And the Healthy Voyager site is going through a major redesign, um, and if all goes well, I'll be launching it by summer. I'm hoping to have it uh, all set and ready to go by Memorial Day weekend, um, but if not, it'll be just barely, you know, shortly after that. Um, and on the site, there are going to be book reviews and listings among tons of other new information, videos, articles, products, giveaways, uh, hopefully weekly giveaways, and more. So soon you'll be able to see a comprehensive list of book reviews outside of the four that I just mentioned above. All kinds of great information to soak up soon. I'm very, very excited. Alrighty, stay tuned as I will be chatting with my first guest right after the break, the very inspirational Will Tuttle. Hola, soy Mark Anthony para Red, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. La música es una de las cosas más importantes de mi vida, pero nada es más importante que la vida en sí. Así que escoge a un conductor designado. Public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My first guest is quite a guy, a musician, a PhD-holding professor, a rambling man, as in nomadic, not as in he talks too much, an activist, an author, and many other wonderful things. Here with me now is the jack-of-all-vegan-trades himself, Will Tuttle. Hello, Will. Hi, Carolyn. Hi. Good to, good to be with you. Yeah, I'm so glad you were able to make it on because I know, as I mentioned in the intro, you're you're a tough man to find. You're all over the place. I, you know, my wife, uh, Madeline, and I live in a rolling home powered by solar panels. 
So that is awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear about that because I know I'm going to ask you about that a little later. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, first for those people who are listening and, and might not be familiar with you and your work. Sure. Well, um, basically I've been uh, traveling now for 15 years around the country uh, playing concerts of original piano music and uh, giving lectures uh, on my Book, the World Peace Diet, which is promoting a healthy, vegan, plant-based, whole foods diet, organic. And uh, before that, I uh, we lived in Northern California, and uh, I got my PhD at UC Berkeley, taught college courses in philosophy and uh, humanities, mythology, creativity, comparative religion. And um, now it's just really been wonderful to be able to meet so many great people as we travel around and spread the message of compassion for all life and nutritional sanity, which is kind of hard to find in this country sometimes. Right, right, absolutely. So do you remember the point in your life when you became vegan and why that was? Actually, you know, what I remember is the point in my life when I became a vegetarian. Um, that was when uh, I was actually on a spiritual pilgrimage uh, heading from Massachusetts, which is where I was born and raised, Concord, Massachusetts, heading to California. But back in 1975, I decided to just go west and try to find a spiritual uh, teacher and cosmic consciousness and all that kind of stuff. And uh, ended up actually deciding, because we were heading, my brother and I were doing this together, uh, we headed as far as Buffalo, and it was getting cold. It was October, and we decided to head south, and we headed all the way down to Tennessee. We walked, actually, the whole way. And uh, we ended up at a place called The Farm in Tennessee, which was a community about the – it was the largest uh, hippie commune, I guess, in the world at that time, about a 1,000 people, and they were all eating uh, what we would call today a vegan diet because they didn't eat any meat, dairy products, or eggs, and didn't wear – even wear um, leather. So – Wow. Um, I was, uh, that was it. I, I just saw the connections. I saw people did not have to eat meat to be uh, healthy. They were not dying of a protein deficiency. Even the little children were doing great on a totally plant-based diet. So I gave up meat then, and, and I only stayed there for about a month. And then um, about, that was 1975, and then about 1980, I just started, I just made the connections really between uh, the violence towards cows and dairy industry and, and uh, chickens for, for eggs. And, and so I became a vegan uh, right, right around 1980. And a few years later went to Korea where I became a Zen monk. And that was a completely vegan community all for, and, um, for 650 years. So it was, it was wow. an ancient, ancient kind of uh, tradition of nonviolence towards all beings. Wow. And, you know, it's so funny how people nowadays think it's so tough to be vegan. And, you know, for me, I've been vegan 11 years, and I say, oh, 11 years ago was a lot tougher. I can't imagine having been a vegan <laughs> back in the early 80s, you know. Right. It was great. You know, when I was at the farm in Tennessee, uh, we used to just cook soybeans, you know, for 12 hours and eat them. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, and, then, uh, um, and then they had, they had the first soy uh, ever, anywhere, soy ice, you know, non-dairy ice cream. It was called ice bean, made from soybeans. <laughs> and 
it was really, I would say by today's standards, it was terrible, but we thought it was pretty good because it was all we had, you know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, I say that yeah. about, I, I remember the vegan cheeses 11 years ago. They were terrible. Now we have right. vegan cheeses everywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's dedication for sure. So right. when did you go from being, I guess I would say, a regular vegan citizen to a vegan messenger? You know, that was um, pretty early on. I I felt strongly from the beginning when I started to look behind the curtain and see what we do systematically to animals for food. Um, I really felt that I wanted to share with other people, and so I and I all pretty much always did talk about it to people. And I think it was in 1980, uh, the mid 80s. I got my master's degree. And then I got my Ph.D. at Berkeley, and I started really using my teaching uh, position at colleges as a platform to promote veganism. Uh, mm-hmm. I really loved the, being able to choose which books people would have to read if they wanted to pass my classes. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, there's a certain power there. You know, and I was teaching the right class. I was teaching classes in ethics and culture mm-hmm. and history and all, and I could bring this message in. You know, all kinds of ways. I just did it as a way to um, help students more critically about their culture and themselves and to understand more deeply what's really going on here. And um, so, uh, and I started going to conferences. I started going to protests. I started uh, participating in um, some actions and things. Uh, and, um, but primarily what I was doing uh, was just sharing with groups and uh, of students. And then, uh, about 19, let's see, whenever it was, it was about 20 years ago, uh, I decided to stop teaching college, and I actually lived for three years in a 1971 Volkswagen bus, mm-hmm. traveled around the country, living in that, and that's when I started to speak about it to churches, and that's really what it's become a lot lately. Uh, Madeline and I travel a lot to churches. I usually give the talk on Sunday morning at a progressive church, uh, Unitarian or Unity, usually, and um, I bring in the message of compassion for all life. And, um, mm-hmm. and then, of course, now we have the book, The World Peace Diet, which um, has the whole message. And I usually uh, encourage people to get a copy of the book because in, in The World Peace Diet, I'm able to, in the space of you know, 300 pages, really lay out the big picture of our culture's mistreatment of animals for food and how we can uh, become much healthier and happier by eating less meat and dairy products. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely want to talk uh, a little more in depth about the book. Um, but I do want to ask, I wanted to ask you, have you always been a musician? Was, when, when did you kind of pick up music? Yeah, the music has always been an important part of my life. Even when I was just two or three years old, four or five years old, I, I was playing the piano already. Uh, I was the oldest child. My father was a uh, pianist, uh, kind of a played American music primarily, Gershwin mm-hmm. and jazz and blues. And then I, I took piano lessons and studied classical European. I was a church organist in high school. I played, um, I was not a music major in college. I majored more in writing, and I was going to take over my father's newspaper business. Uh, so I didn't think anyone could make a living as a musician. But that's really been uh, the main thing I've been doing uh, in a way for, for money, um, has been, uh, you know, the music, the albums, the concerts. Madeline and I also do, Madeline's an artist, and she does beautiful paintings. But she's been a vegan for a long time, too. And um, 
So we do uh, individual sessions for people, healing, music, and art. We, we do a lot. We've done thousands of those over the years. And uh, so really, um, I think music is a, f- a powerful foundation for um, self-discovery, for healing. I think it would, part, of the way I, part, part of the way I was able to make the connections to talk about in the World Peace Diet was, I think actually by because I'm a musician, I think there's certain areas perhaps of connections that the musicians perhaps can make <laughs> somehow, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, so I think it really helped. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. Music can can really send a message as well as kind of, and your music especially is so soothing, you know, so it, it just uh, right. goes along with your message. Right, so, and I think it also, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, with the, I know that you mentioned when you started your you're being a, a vegan messenger as opposed to just being a regular vegan citizen. Um, that's kind of when you started doing public speaking as well, or did that kind of come after after you stopped teaching? Actually, the um, the public speaking really didn't take off, uh, at least in terms of um, speaking, you know, uh, encouraging people to go vegan until the book came out, which was about Mm -hmm. almost five years ago. Uh, Before that, I did speak about it at churches uh, and some other places too. I did do some speaking, but after the book came out, it just just skyrocketed. I mean, we do 100 events a year now. Wow. Sometimes I'm speaking, you know, two, three, four times a week. And so, um, so that's, you know, that's really, since the book came out, I, it just, uh, just went m- much more mainly because um, I, I, it's much easier. You sort of it opens doors, and people are are much more. It's really interesting. People are much more um, willing to listen to someone who has a book out than someone who doesn't. And and plus, it, it, writing the book forced me to really um, formulate and articulate the ideas. Uh, much more clearly, and and makes it I think makes it a more effective speaker. Right, right, absolutely. So I know we mentioned at the beginning that you're uh, kind of a rambling man, and you and your wife live uh, live in an RV. What uh, what made you guys decide to to not have one place to call home? Yeah, that's you know just briefly we were we found what we really felt was our dream place in Healdsburg, California, up in the uh, wine country of Northern California, and it was a beautiful house. We were renting it. We weren't bought. We didn't buy it, but it was just looking out over an uninhabited Redwood Valley. We did a lot of creative work there. I did uh, five, I think, five albums of music, and Madeline did a lot of painting. And we thought we would just stay there, but it was almost uh, at a certain point after being up there for a few years, um, we had the feeling that it was time to bring, sort of, to come off the mountain into the marketplace, that feeling, you know, you know, to take this, the message that we had been receiving and the um, spiritual inspiration and creativity and to uh, be with the people. And so I never thought of living in an RV, you know, one of these, mm-hmm. uh, it's called wheel trailer, but we, I didn't even know what one was until we saw one. But we just looked at it and we just thought, you know, this, this could really be great. And we thought we would try it for about a year and lo and behold, now it's been 15 years, wow. and we still, we still just love it. I mean, it's really fun. We we added more and more solar panels and more and more batteries, and just kind of, at, you know, putting the recording studio in a place 
for everything pretty much in this little tiny space. It's a great way to live with a tiny uh, footprint. I mean, it's really tiny. But we, the amount of water we use is just, a, you know, maybe whatever, like 80 gallons a week. And the amount of electricity we use is microscopic. I mean, it's pretty much all solar. And, wow. Uh, and we and we don't really burn a lot of fuel either. We only put about fifteen to twenty thousand miles a year uh, on our truck and um, and traveling around. We don't. We just kind of slowly go north in the summer and south, you know, in the spring and south in the fall. And so we don't have to heat or cool too much, you know. So right. it's just a real, really nice way to enjoy the beauty of nature, to meet a lot of great people, to have a tiny footprint uh, environmentally, and um, to uh, be able to be creative and spread the message. Yeah, it sounds like such a great way to be free of a lot of of stress, (laughs) bills and (laughs) and all that sort of thing. It just sounds like such a great way to live. Right. Yeah, I think it is. Do you ever think that uh, someday you guys might say, all right, let's uh, let's park the the RV and, and stick in one, you know, one town? We do. So we do think of that. We we thought of that from the very beginning. We thought we mm. would find a place after a year or two and just uh, stop doing this. But we just never found, for one reason or or another, the like the perfect place. So mm. we're still sort of on the quest here to find right. the perfect place. But but it's not. We're not in any huge hurry. Um, we feel it'll you know it'll manifest when it's supposed to, and it would probably would be just a half a year, I think, because. Um, we would probably still want to travel half, at least half a year, and then maybe half a year, the place where we can put uh, our grand piano, which is still in storage now for 15 years, uh, wow. set it up and, <laughs> and have a place. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what if it happens. Sounds neat. Sounds like a lot of fun. I know uh, I've heard you speak, and I remember you telling me that, or telling the group, that uh, getting your PhD was, was somewhat challenging because of the subject matter you wanted to study and promote. How did you get through it? Well, I was really lucky. It was very difficult, and that's a huge and excellent question. Basically, getting a PhD, especially at a place, uh, even though UC Berkeley has a reputation for being very liberal, but it's uh, still a very uh, sort of high-level academic institution. It was the number one ranked graduate school of education in uh, the United States back when I was there. And um, so I felt... You know, like they were always trying to make me special and look at the world in a certain way. And I, I tend to want to always see the big picture and to work in a very progressive way. And so I was, I was going to have to do my dissertation as an interdisciplinary dissertation, which is complicated bureaucratically to do. But I was able to do it within the School of Education uh, on developing intuition and educating intuition. There was a couple of older professors who were open-minded and said, sure, go ahead. And so it, was, it ended up being a great experience. And my dissertation was actually nominated as the best dissertation at UC Berkeley that year. And uh, I was able to focus really on uh, how intuition and altruism uh, can be educated in people. And that's really the foundation for a lot of uh, what came later with the World Peace Diet, the, the, um, the that we can connect with our own innate wisdom and compassion and create a culture of peace and harmony through extending compassion to animals and animals, but to people who are starving because we're feeding the grain that we could feed the, um, 
to people, to animals, and, and killing them, and, and the future generations, and so forth. The idea is to is to uh, deepen our connection with the uh, interconnectedness of all life, and that was what my uh, research at UC Berkeley was about, actually. And is that kind of what's kind of sprouted the ideas to start researching and writing things down for your future books? Yeah, that was it. It took a few years. Uh, it took many years of actually probably, gosh, 10 or 15 years of just working and writing. And I, I tell the story, uh, which is true, that I, I really thought that somebody else would write the World Peace Diet, you know, the book that became the World Peace Diet. Someone else would write a book that would give the big picture of our culture's mistreatment of animals food. And I would, would tell Madeline, you know, I'm, I know someone's going to write this book. I can't wait to read it. It'll be great to read. It'll be so fun. <laughs> and, and so we started joking, saying, uh, she started saying, well, I think if you want to read that book, you're going to probably have to write it yourself. And I really didn't want to, but I, eventually I realized that she was right. I would have to write this book myself. So I started, and it took me five years of pretty much full-time work of writing. And, uh, but, I, you know, it was a great experience also to write the book. So tell us about the World Peace Diet. Well, it's, you know, it's a, the, the essential message is that all of us are born into a culture that has a hidden core mentality, which is injected into all of us through our meals, through the, the food that we are uh, basically forced to eat and the meals we're uh, you know, forced to participate in from the time we're born, which are meals that contain the flesh of animals who have been hyper-confined and mutilated and killed and and um, that this mentality that underlies our culture is a mentality that goes against our best interests. It's a mentality of disconnectedness, of reductionism, commodification of life, exclusivism, privilege, elitism, predation, uh, exploitation, and violence. And that uh, in order for us to actually be successful at creating a world that works for everyone, we must change our meals. We must stop eating animals. It's just uh, the foundation of a culture of sanity and kindness. And until we recognize that, all of our efforts towards peace and freedom and equality and sustainability will be merely ironic and they will never work because uh, we're killing 75 million animals a day for food in the United States. It's a massive uh, killing machine with, and we have whole armies of people that are doing it. And um, the violence affects and infects everyone. So that's the basic message, and it's a really liberating message, I think, because when people start to realize it and they realize, well, I can change, and uh, not only will that help the world, it'll help uh, hungry people, it'll help uh, my own health, my own inner peace. It's just a win-win-win on every level. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So tell us where we can find out more about you and your music, your books, your speaking tour schedule, everything that is the Will Tuttle brand. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, willtuttle.com is uh, sort of the basic website where we have the music, the art, and there's links to the web pages that, that talk about the World Peace Diet. There's willpeacediet.com, which has uh, our veg inspiration for the day which is uh, something anyone can sign up for if you'd like to for free or, or just um, go to the website every day. And a lot of people do that. We have an uh, inspirational uh, saying that I, I write every day. And then uh, worldpeacediet.org is the other one, which is um, more the in-depth um, 
uh, material behind the World Peace Diet, lots of articles, interviews, uh, reviews, and so forth, videos. And um, the other website we have is circleofcompassion.org, which is a worldwide prayer circle for animals, people who are uh, taking time every day just to hold animals in our consciousness from love. Uh, so those are the main ones, willtuttle.com and worldpeacediet.org and .com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for get, coming on the show today, and I love what you're doing and, and all the great uh, aspects of Will Tuttleness. Uh, I'm looking forward, to, <laughs> looking forward to seeing some more in the future from you. Well, thanks so much, and I'll just let people know that uh, we do also have a uh, training that we're doing for people who want to facilitate classes in the World Peace Diet in their communities, and that's also mm-hmm. on the worldpeacediet.org website. Oh, good. Good, good, good. So everything's there in case people want to sign up and lead their own groups. Right. Yep. Perfect. Good to know. Good to know. Thanks again, Will. I appreciate it. Well, you're so welcome. Thanks for the great work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Stay with us because after the break, I welcome the compassionate chef herself, Colleen Patrick Goudreau. Dear Mom and Dad, well, the Army has finally seen fit to give me some time off, so I'm writing to tell you that I'm doing fine over here. And Mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Coming back to Healthy Voyager Radio, you may know my next guest from her delicious cookbooks, The Joy of Vegan Baking and The Vegan Table, as well as from her own podcast, Vegetarian Food for Thought. Without further ado is Ms. Colleen patrick Gaudreau. How are you today, Colleen? Hi, I'm very well. Thank you, Carolyn. Oh, good, good, good. So, Colleen, uh, what was the reason you became the compassionate cook? I became a compassionate cook because I myself had gone on my own journey from being a, a meat eater to um, to someone who was vegan. And being a natural activist, I just wanted to tell other people about what I had learned because I really believe that most of us are walking around unaware. I don't believe that people wake up trying to figure out how cruel they can be each day. I really think people are pretty desensitized and in denial about these issues. And so my intention was to raise awareness about these issues. And I found that people were very moved by the truth and they wanted to change, but all of their questions came down to what do I eat? All of their questions came down to food. And so I, armed with my master's in English literature, started teaching cooking classes um, because I really thought it was a gap that needed to be filled. And so I did just that. I literally just started teaching cooking classes. This is about 10 years ago now. And people really responded, and they grew and grew, and, and really it grew into what I'm doing today. Excellent. So were you just a fabulous cook all on your own, or did you kind of dabble in culinary school, or you just kind of started create, to create from, from your compassion? Yeah, that's right. I, I never went to culinary school. I'm self-taught, and I wouldn't say I was a fabulous 
cook. I loved to cook. I mean, I liked it. I didn't expect to do uh, anything with it in terms of career, but, uh, but it was something that I was adept at. And I was also adept, which I think is really important at teaching. I mean, just being able to communicate the challenges mm-hmm. with people and, and knowing what people wanted. I always say that my intention is not to make people gourmet chefs. You know, I'm not someone who wants to be in the kitchen for hours and hours. My my cooking is really about just wanting to make good, healthful food. And what I teach is just that, too. I, 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 I don't want people to spend hours in the kitchen. I want them to make food for their family when they come home from work that's healthful, but that doesn't take forever to prepare. So certainly that's my intention, and that certainly grew. I, you know, I, my own skills grew over the years as well. Excellent. What, in, what inspires you when you know, creating new recipes? Um, healthful, hopeful, hopeful is hopeful a word, whole, <laughs> whole <laughs> ingredients, hopeful. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really the, the intention. I mean, I'm inspired. I, I want to give people what they want. I just spoke to a, a friend today and, you know, she was just telling me how much she loves my cookbooks because they're accessible, because she makes mm-hmm. the recipes, because she uses the recipes, because the ingredients that I use and call for are in people's kitchens. They're in her cupboard. And when she gives them to non-vegans, quote-unquote, of course, they love them. So I'm really inspired by what the point of the recipes are, which is to give people familiar, you know, traditional um, comfort foods that they've known all their lives uh, or that their families have known all their lives. Uh, I don't want people to be alienated by the food. I really want it to be something that brings them together. And that's, that's really what inspires my recipes, and, and then, like I said, food that is really whole, food that really is um, at its core, just just food. I mean, I always talk about how how I have to put the word vegan in quotes when I talk about food because vegan food is fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and mushrooms and beans and lentils and herbs and spices. You know, it's not some crazy food group. It's not a separate food group. It's not a crazy right. alien cuisine, you know. So I, I really try and make my recipes based on those kind of familiar ingredients. And it, it is really true that, that they are accept, uh, accessible. I love your books because I know a lot of people use the excuse of, oh, well, vegan cookies got to be so hard. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, if you eat peanut butter and jelly, that's vegan, exactly. you know. <laughs> and a lot of people expect, oh, well, you got to do the soy this and the soy that, and right. you got to, you know, sprout it yourself. But <laughs> that's not true. You've definitely made it a lot more um, palpable to, to folks and, and prove that it's very easy and Thank delicious you. at the same time. Thank you. Thank you. Take us through the process of, of writing a new cookbook. Well, uh, let's see. So by the end of this year, by the end of 2010, I'll have three. Uh, Color Me Vegan is my newest, and that's coming out at the, in November or December. <clears throat> and really, I don't do anything for its own sake. I always have to kind of have a really good reason for doing something. And and so that kind of drives the process of writing the cookbook. And so The Joy of Vegan Baking was all about creating familiar, traditional sweets and treats for people. And so I really sat down and wrote out all of the treats that people would want in one cookbook, vegan or not, just what they would want in a cookbook based on baked goods. And so wrote it all out and and then just started either veganizing recipes that I had used over the years before I went vegan. I still had a lot of old vegan cookbooks um, and recipes and um, concocted my own or, you know, ones that I had had from family or friends. And, and so the whole intention was the kinds of recipes that I wanted to do and then 
you know, putting them together in in the cookbook and making sure they were really, you know, kind of across the board also, you know, international. They're not just kind of American baked goods, but really they go across mm-hmm. the whole spectrum. So that was the intention, just really wanting to create those traditional familiar sweets and then making sure they were all in one in one book. And then it's broken up. You know, there's muffins, there's cakes, there's pies, there's even beverages. So it's not just all sweets. It's, you know, there's hot and cold beverages too. The vegan table, you know, my publisher had come to me and said after the joy of vegan baking, okay, what do you want to do next? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like I didn't have any plans to do this <laughs> cookbook. And they said, well, what about just, you know, kind of your cookbook, your, you know, just a general cookbook. And I said, you know, there's a lot of really good vegan cookbooks out there. I don't really feel that there's a need for me to just kind of create my own. And they threw out all these ideas and I rejected every one of their ideas. And finally they said, well, what about a book on entertaining? And I said, you know, I I would love to do that. There's a real need for a book that is centered on entertaining people, hosting parties. I do it all the time. I'm someone who happens to love to host, much to my husband's chagrin. And um, so we have people over all the time. And that made sense for me. So that was the driving force behind um, the vegan table. And so again, the process of writing it really was dictated by the intention behind it. And so it's broken up by the number of people you host. So that, you know, if you're just hosting a dinner party for four, you don't have to make something for 16 people. If you're hosting a larger party, you'd want more finger foods, et cetera. And so those recipes in the vegan table are really special because those are recipes that I've been cooking with students for, for the 10 years I've been teaching cooking classes. So on one hand, it's an entertaining that it's, it's uh, organized like an entertaining cookbook, but it's also recipes that you can cook every day. And then nice. Color Me Vegan, same thing. I mean, the process, again, is the intention behind this book the intention was color and so it was a matter of of choosing recipes that were really concentrated in the different colors it's broken up by the color and i didn't want it to be novel i mean the whole point wasn't to make it you know novel so that you know just because it's blue you're going to i'm going to put it in the book i still want it to be accessible Mm-hmm. So that's it. So I do. So I. So that's how I start the recipes. What the what the intention is, and then I start testing them. And then and there's a lot of writing, certainly. I mean, my, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of side content in addition to the recipes in my cookbook. So so that that takes a lot of time in between in between testing the recipes. Hmm. Excellent. So you teach cooking classes, I know, up in in your area where you live. What does a class with Colleen entail? I know that compassion is your main proponent for, for teaching people how to cook, but uh, what does a general class kind of feel like? Uh, so it always starts with an introduction. I right off the bat talk about why I do what I do and what my story is, and I think it's a really wonderful way to start the class is it really sets the tone for the whole class because I want to be clear with everyone that my intention for doing this work is really about encouraging people to live as compassionately and helpfully as possible. And so having set that tone and making no apologies that this is about ethics, um, it, it really, it, 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 it creates the foundation for everyone to feel really comfortable and very intimate. Um, what happens after I tell my story is that I go around the room and everybody tells me why they're there. And it's pretty amazing because some um, transformations happen even after hearing my introduction because these things aren't talked about. So just being able to 
to bring it out in the open and talk about why we're all here and that we're, you know, what we really want to be is as compassionate as possible and we can do that very easily through our food choices. Really, it's really quite beautiful to watch other people respond to that. And then, uh, you know, and then we start cooking. Uh, you know, I usually do five dishes each class. Each class is about three hours long. I should say I'm taking a hiatus from the cooking classes right now, um, working on, on all the books that I've got going on. I still teach for Dr. McDougall. Um, up in Santa Rosa, which is just about an hour from me, uh, and it's the same thing. So we so we do you know five dishes, and uh, and people are welcome to ask questions during the class, and it's very interactive, and it's a lot of fun, and very informative, and very tasty because everybody, of course, gets to eat all the all the food that we make. Sounds great. Sounds like definitely more than just your average cooking class for sure. I think so I think so. I think so. I think so. And I think the I think having taught classes for so long has really influenced the way I do the cookbooks because those recipes are, are recipes that have been tried and true um, for so long. And so I know what people's challenges are having taught these classes. I know what people's questions are. I know what they need to do when they go home and they have mixed you know, families where they have people that are not vegetarian. So teaching the classes have really influenced the, the cookbooks and certainly um, and the classes really are much more than just a, a typical cooking class where it's just about, you know, and now stir the onions and here's how you chop and it's just a lot more it's a lot more rich than that so for people who aren't as lucky as uh, the folks that live near you uh, and would like to take one of your classes or at least kind of see some information on on your cooking do you have videos online that they can watch as far as like video cooking classes you know, I don't. I have a couple cooking demonstrations online. I'd love to do something like that. You know the time that's involved in doing any kind of video or audio yeah, um, sure. recording. It's it's a lot of work and with the podcast that I do, which is an audio podcast, um you know, it's it's a lot that that's enough. But my intention was to do more video podcasts this year, but with uh with everything happening with with the books that I've got coming up, that's not that's not going to happen. It will happen someday, but it's it's not really out there right now. There are cooking classes popping up all over the place, though. I really, mm-hmm. you know, if you just type in vegan cooking class in uh, in your, your town, I really think, you know, it, 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 they're much more prevalent than they were certainly when I started. And I should say, too, you know, type in vegetarian as well. Uh, my podcast is called Vegetarian, and the cooking classes I did were called Vegetarian, mostly because uh, the word vegan, although now it's really changing, the word vegan really did scare people for a while. And mm-hmm. um, I used the word and used the word vegetarian as an umbrella term. And really, its original meaning referred to diets that didn't include dairy and eggs. So I feel comfortable using it as an umbrella term. Uh, and I've been told by people who came to the classes or who listened to my podcast that they would not have come or they would would not have listened if I called it vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they get there, they go, oh, okay, okay, I get it. It's vegan and, and this is vegan. Okay, great. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't have known that if you called it vegan because it would, have, it would have stopped me from coming in the first place. So type in vegetarian cooking classes too. You never know. Yeah, you do never know. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your, your Vegetarian Food for Thought podcast. Tell us how you got started and kind of what kind of topics you cover and where we can hear it, even though you're kind of on a hiatus. I'm sure we can hear back podcasts. 
Well, the podcast is ongoing. That is not, I'm not on a hiatus from the podcast. I'm oh, okay. on a hiatus only from the uh, live cooking classes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it really was an outgrowth of the, well, I guess I did a cooking DVD. So there is a cooking DVD I still, I do have available still. We'll, we'll be out of print soon. It's been five years since I did the cooking DVD. Amazingly, mm-hmm. I can't believe it's been five years. But uh, it'll be out of, out of print at some point. I don't think I'm going to re- rerun it. I think with everything going on online, there's really no need to do another you know, DVD itself. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the podcast kind of was an outgrowth of that. I was contemplating about five years ago, well, probably about four years ago, uh, doing another cooking DVD and was talking to my friends who had produced the DVD with me. And one of them had said, well, have you thought about doing a podcast? And I hadn't because I still didn't really quite know what a podcast was. And <laughs> we talked about it. And it turned out that I had really all the recording equipment already in my house because my husband is a musician. So I had the microphone and I had the editing software and the recording software. And I just thought, you know, this is a really good medium. It's an amazing medium to be able to talk about really anything. And I have a lot to say. So I just recorded the first episode. This was March 2006 uh, on protein, of course, because protein is the number one question people ask when you tell them that you're vegan. And, you know, it's funny. You just don't know who's going to show up or who's going to listen or what's going to happen. You just kind of put it out there. And I had no idea what would happen. And it's grown from there. And we get 20,000 downloads a month of the podcast. I am on the receiving end of immense affection and transformation uh, hearing from people who have come to the podcast and become vegan uh, or become, you know, kind of a more effective vegan um, activist. And um, we cover everything. I mean, I cover everything from the social aspects, the food aspects, the cooking aspects, nutrition, the spiritual aspects, uh, you know, all all animal issues, but um, really also celebrating the different animals themselves. So we'll have an episode on goats. We have an episode on sheep. We have an episode on um, cattle. And um, and then something that's very close to my heart also is literature, um, my background being in English literature. And so it's been a real pleasure to read short stories by really uh, amazing, world-renowned, you know, classic authors who wrote stories that have an animal consciousness to them and uh, read those on, on the podcast as well. So it really covers kind of a huge variety of, of topics. That's excellent. That's excellent. And if you had to, because I know uh, Vegan Table was about entertaining, if you had to whip up a meal for an impromptu dinner party, let's say tonight, what would it be? Well, you know, <laughs> like I said before, I'm not, I'm not someone who wants to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. So I am one of these people that really likes to plant, like, I mean, if I'm not planning in advance, at least prepare things in advance. So if I found out just now that someone was going to come over for dinner tonight, I would most likely still do something maybe like a casserole, maybe some kind of hearty stew that I could make now and then heat up later um, right before they come. Even if it's something like burgers being, you know, we're into spring now and the weather is beautiful and we would most likely eat outside. I mean, I would probably even whip up some some kind of burgers. It could be falafel burgers or nut burgers or tofu burgers or something. And again, prepare them in advance and then just keep them aside until until people came. Definitely a big salad. We have a um, pretty big garden here in our in our backyard, including a garden that is specifically a lettuce salad garden. So I'd be able to whip something up pretty quickly. Um, yeah, for, from that. But yeah, and, and you know, I would really try and keep it simple and, and let the let my cupboards and what I have in the in the garden or in the refrigerator dictate what the what the meal's going to be. Excellent. That's a very good tip. 
what are some of the must-haves uh, for the compassionate cook as far as food to have in stock as well as cooking utensils? Uh, I do have resources on my website, CompassionateCooks.com. There's uh, under resources, there's there's a document called, I think it's called Stocking a Healthy, I don't know, Stocking a Veg Pantry or something like that. And I do talk about that because to, to that point of making something that I have, you know, making something with the ingredients that I already have in my kitchen, uh, I do think there are certain things to have in your cupboards at all times, which make spontaneous cooking very easy. Um, tamari, you know, soy sauce tahini to be able to whip up a quick sauce, um, different curries, different vinegars, um, you know, um, some frozen things, obviously some frozen fruits and vegetables really make a difference, having just some canned tomatoes and canned beans, that kind of thing. But definitely those kind of condiments, uh, like the vinegars and um, and the curries really, really help to be able to make something quickly. And spices. And I know people are really intimidated by Spices, many people have spices in their homes, but they're collecting dust on their shelves and they don't really Mm -hmm. use them. They just decorate their kitchen walls with their spices. Mm -hmm. So I really encourage people to have spices that they use in their kitchen and become familiar with them and don't be be so afraid of them. As far as utensils, I do have podcast episodes on this. I have one called, I think it's called um, Favorite Kitchen Utensils or something, and and one of them is – I. I think it's essential to have a good knife. I think it's really imperative to have a good knife to for safety, but for ease and convenience. You know, a lot of people who complain about cooking, um, they complain that they have to chop vegetables. And mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons people complain about chopping vegetables or cooking is because they don't enjoy it. And if you're using a knife that makes it impossible and difficult um, and, you know, just not enjoyable to cut, you're not going to want to do it. But if you right. have one good chef's knife that you keep sharp, you know, it really makes all the difference. I was visiting my mother just recently. God, I feel so terrible. Her, I, you know, I've given her good cutting boards and I've given her good knives. But she, you know, And I was just trying to cut some carrots and I was, you know, sweating and <laughs> cursing. It was horrible. It, it, it just makes the experience so much less enjoyable if you don't have a good knife. So a good knife is really important. And a good cutting board is also really important. And I would say my, my other favorite kind of tool aside from those two essentials is um, – tongs, you know, just um, kind of silicone tipped tongs that you could just use um, to make a stir fry to use for greens and just kind of whip things up really easily. Um, But the silicone tipped ones are really good because you don't scratch your your pots and pans. So any healthy tips for simple summer meals coming up? Uh, yeah, you know, salads, you know, greens, just, I, you know, there's so many different things we can do with just our typical lettuce greens, you know, the romaine lettuce and the mixed greens and that kind of thing. But, but kale and collards and all of the wonderful greens, there's so many different kinds of, of salads we can make. And when we have those vinegars in our cupboards, we can, we can whip those dressings up pretty easily. You know, um, yeah, keeping things cold. I mean, I'm one of these people that tends to make stews all year round because I just, I love the ease and convenience of them, but there's so many noodles salads, you know, cold noodle salads. I, I tend towards kind of Asian Japanese cuisine and, you know, whipping up a soba noodle salad with some sesame oil and some tamari and some sesame seeds and shredded carrots and some edamame is a really simple um, meal you can whip up. And that can be done in about 10 minutes. You know, it doesn't take long to make some of these things. Um, nice. Yeah, bean salads. You know, I'm, re- I'm really partial to those kinds of, you know, kind of one, one dish dishes. 
Yeah, it sounds great. On top of having a good knife because then it's even better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where can we find out more about you, your classes, your podcast, all that good stuff? So you can go to my website, CompassionateCooks.com, and it has links to the podcast, which people can get through iTunes called Vegetarian Food for Thought. But if they just go to CompassionateCooks.com, they can find out everything. And then I would encourage people to join the mailing list as well, and they'll find out about the dates for the upcoming, upcoming books. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being part of today's show. I know that you're busy with your new book and your your podcast and all that. So uh, thank you again. I love what you're doing and your books are great. Thank you, Carolyn. It's a pleasure. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. Don't go anywhere because we will be right back after these brief messages. Think about your mother, your sister, your girlfriend. One in six women is a victim of sexual assault. Now think about your father, your brother, your best friend. Men are victims too. Rape can happen to anyone. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, encouraging you to call the National Sexual Assault Hotline to learn how to support someone you love. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. Back to wrap up this week's Healthy Voyager Radio. Make sure again to visit willtuttle.com as well as compassionatecooks.com. Uh, you can follow them both on Facebook and Twitter. You can find Will as well as Colleen on Facebook and Twitter. And make sure to check out their music and podcasts on iTunes uh, as well as their books on Amazon. So you can find them all over the place. Make sure you join me next week when I welcome a fellow vegan radio broadcaster, Mr. Vance of VegCast, as well as the very talented and very funny vegan comedian and artist, Dan Perraro. Uh, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, HealthyVoyager.com, Facebook, YouTube, anywhere you can probably find the Healthy Voyager. Um, and of course, uh, joining the Healthy Voyager Passport Pals.ning.com. Uh, which will soon be transferred over to the new HealthyVoyager.com that will be launching early summer. Uh, so even if you log on and, and join HealthyVoyagerPassportPals.ning.com uh, so that you can share stories and recipes and meet other healthy travelers, um, you'll, uh, it'll be a seamless switch to the, to the new interface. Uh, everything will be housed completely on HealthyVoyager.com so there won't be any separate sites anymore. Everything will be there. So go ahead and sign up there for now, um, and then it'll do the switch uh, automatically at the beginning of the summer when we do a full grand launch of the new website. So check that out. Again, I'd like to thank Will Tuttle and Colleen Patrick Goodrow one more time for all of their great information today. Be sure to check out the podcast of today's show as well as past shows on HealthyVoyager.com as well as on iTunes and Zune where you can subscribe and, uh, and you'll never miss a show. Before we head out, I'm going to, as usual, play us a song uh, to uh, send us off. And today's song will be a song by Mr. Will Tuttle, who we just had on the show. And the song is called Golden Rain. You can find out more about his music at willtuttle.com, as well as download albums and audiobooks of his on iTunes. Thanks again for joining me on today's show. Have a great weekend and enjoy the very soothing song, Golden Rain by Will Tuttle. Bye.